G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The book of Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. We know that apocalyptic literature is translated or understood metaphorically. Other books of the Bible, or at least most of the other books of the Bible, we look for the literal understanding. But in apocalyptic literature, you're looking for the figurative first and then the literal application. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and my name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. Now, in this episode, Pastor Jeff is continuing a series on the book of Revelation, and he's finishing a message about grace and judgment from Revelation chapter 11. He's sharing about what God's mercy looks like and what it means for us to be His witnesses in the end times. Here's Pastor Jeff now to continue this message. Matthew chapter 28, we're told that go into all the world, teach them everything I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I will be with you even till the end of the age. Now, does that mean at the end of the age, God abandons us? No, but we're about to learn that the time of preaching the gospel and our time on planet earth to stand before the Lord of the earth and proclaim his good news, one day that will come to an end. He says, and I'll get to that in verse five, he says, fire will come from their mouths. What is that? Are we dragons? No, this is the fire of conviction. It's the metaphor, it's the imagery of conviction. Do you know that when you speak, listen, when you speak, people should be convicted. Now, some of you are just downright obnoxious. You're not convicting them. You're just taking people off. There's a difference. Conviction is when you speak softly and gently and you touch the lives of people around you. Now, I've got a gazillion examples of where I failed. Can I use one where I did well? <laughs> okay, so don't, you understand, especially when I'm on the 210. Okay, that's not a good example. So let's not talk about the bad examples. Let me give you a good one. I remember when I was 19 years old, and these are few and far between, unfortunately, and pray for me and I'll pray for you. I'm trying to get better at this, but when I was in, uh, 19 years old, I was at a basketball camp in Maryville, Tennessee, just outside Knoxville, And this is where you play five or six games a day. And there was a player on one of the other teams. I think he was from a place called Oneida. It was kind of up in the mountains. And and he he was very aggressive toward me. And everybody on my team knew this guy hated me. We never knew why, but they would spit on us as we walked out of the locker room, throw things at us, trash our rooms. It's pretty violent. And finally, one day we're all standing around and some of the other players said, Vines, why don't you just, why don't we just all gang up on him, take him out behind the school building, just knock him senseless. It was one of those moments where I had very uh, great clarity. And I remember saying to my friends, man, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Now, I don't know where that came from because I wasn't thinking that. (laughs) But it came out. Silence. Everybody just got quiet. 
Do you know the way you and I speak is supposed to be so convicting, but we don't do it harshly. We do it so gently with great respect, but we're supposed to be the people that say, Hey man, you need to forgive them. Hey, don't hold that grudge. Hey, stay the course. Hey, let's be light to the world, not darkness. And the way you say it is not judgmental or arrogant, but softly in humility, acknowledging that you yourself struggle with it. And as you do, the fire of conviction comes out and people's lives are supposed to be changed because they're around you and me. Lord, help us. The point of all this though is that you and I have been marked out. We are the witnesses. We are the marcheria. That's the word that comes from the idea of martyrdom based on the first Christian martyr, Stephen. You and I may not ever be asked to go to India northern India and preach the gospel and risk our lives or to South Sudan and become a Christian and proclaim Christianity. But we are asked to data ourselves. That's who gets into the inner kingdom. You got that, right? That's who's marked. Those who came to a point in their life and said, you know what? I died of my desires and my wants and my needs, and I submit all of them to God and whatever he gives me back, I'll take in return as a gift. But he is allowed to do whatever he needs to do in me that the gospel and his kingdom might be expanded because that's all that really matters on planet earth. Here's how you know, if that's you, if you've really done that, there's a cause and effect associated with it. And here's what it is. You have a passion to help those far from God come near. If that passion is not in you, I'm not sure you know what it is to be in the inner court. Let me, let me give you a few reasons why. Okay, quickly, why you may not have that passion. Number one, it might be because you're still on the outside looking in. You've been on the fringe for a long time. You come, you read your Bible from time to time, you pray, but you're really not all in. You got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And sooner or later, you're going to be asked to choose. Where are you? How do I know? Well, part of it is you've got this treasure that you've discovered and it's so precious to you that you can't keep it to yourself. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought a field. If you have not yet discovered the treasure of the supremacy of Christ in your life, you can't share a treasure with somebody that you do not yet own. If you're in the inner court, you know how precious a treasure Jesus is to you because he's made such a powerful difference in your life. You can't help but to speak of the things you've seen and heard. Perhaps another reason you don't have a passion for those far from God is because the people far from God still intimidate you because you think it's up to you to convert. You still don't understand that's the job of the Holy Spirit of God to convert as you give the words of truth. Do you know the church of Philadelphia, Jesus had these words. He said in verse eight of chapter three, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Do you understand that? Do you know that it is Christ who opens the door? Do you know how many times in my life that I have missed an opportunity to walk through an open door because the spirit of God has convicted me to speak the words of truth into a life and I've said, no, God, they're not ready. But any door that God has opened, no man can shut. When you feel that prompting and conviction, you speak with gentleness and respect and love. And if you do it the right way, you say, well, I've done that before. And sometimes they don't come to Christ. That might be because you're only the third link in the chain. There's a link in the chain coming after you. You obey God. You are faithful. When he prompts you, you speak. And you don't speak the Ten Commandments. And you don't speak ridicule. You speak of the transformational work of Jesus Christ in your own life. Everybody has a story to tell. If you don't have a story to tell, it's because you're not in the inner court. 
That's what you speak to people. You tell them how God is transforming you now, how he transformed you in the past, and how you expect him to transform you in the future. And everyone is interested in that if you do it with gentleness and respect. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Maybe it's because you're afraid of being rejected and despised. And do you know why you're afraid? Because you will be rejected and despised. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And in John 15, 20, remember what I told you. A servant was not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Most of the time we stop there. But look at the next line. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. Some people will reject, but others will obey. When the Spirit of God prompts us to speak and we do not speak, we miss an opportunity for somebody to walk through a door that God has opened to obey the teaching and find life. And perhaps some of us don't have a passion for people who are far from God because we are obnoxious, offensive, judgmental, and oppressive. Maybe you think the fire that comes out of your mouth is this kind of fire. You're going to hell and I'm glad. (laughs) You deserve it. You know what I mean? It's not that kind of fire. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Because look what he says in verse three. And I will appoint my two witnesses, that's you and me, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Wow. So 42 months they're trampled on, but they prophesy for 1260 days, same amount of time. And he says, they will do so how? Clothed in sackcloth. This is a picture of mourning. We don't arrogantly shout at people. We plead with them with tears. When I was in New Zealand, I had a, an older man call and say, Pastor Jeff, could you come to my house? Something, something's gone wrong. On the way over in my car, I thought, great, here's a guy who four months previous to this phone call had finally conquered through the power of Jesus Christ, the addiction he had to drugs and alcohol. He had destroyed his marriage, his relationship with his kids. And I'm thinking as I'm driving over there, he's had a relapse and he was doing so well because it does happen. But I got there, he had not had a relapse. I saw him as he spoke with his 21-year-old son and he wasn't berating him and he wasn't slapping him. He was simply down on one knee saying, I'm begging you, son. I destroyed my life because of drugs and alcohol and I'm pleading with you with tears. Please don't go this route. I know that you're only following my example and I know I am to blame. Please, it will destroy you. And I remember that is the way you and I are supposed to be with people in the outer court. Please, motivated out of love, not arrogance, but motivated with a tear. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, if you're going to talk about hell, at least do it with a tear in your eye, that you're weeping. And the apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 4, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Now, listen, I know I don't have my head 40 feet in the sand. I know that no matter how nice and gentle you are to some, they're still going to hate you and they're still going to trample on you. I know that. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little bit of a picture of why. This is a new street sign that's been erected in New Zealand. Most of you know I was there for 10 years. Who would pay $10,000 to put this sign on a major motorway in New Zealand? In the beginning, man created God. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Think about it. Who would pay to to say that? to the people of New Zealand. Now, listen, it's a little tricky. I need your patience and I need you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God said to the people, I want you to take your garments and I want you to attach to the end of your garments what, was, what were called tzitzis. They were five knots on a string. The five knots representing the five books of Moses, the law of God. The borders were called the canavs. 
And the little tassels were called tzitzis, or if you're from East Tennessee, tzit, tzit, but tzitzis. The idea was when you took the prayer garment and you put it over your head, you would see hanging down the law of God. And as long as you lived within the law of God, you were protected, safe, and secure. That the abundant life is not found outside of boundaries, but inside the boundaries God gives. So as you live under his law, the abundant life is yours. So many people in the world think that the law of God is meant to restrict you somehow and to rob you of joy and peace. But in reality, the law of God is to make sure you have joy and peace, no matter what's going on on the outside, because you are secure knowing you are right with God. Do you understand that? Now, let me, let me develop that a little bit from application. In a few weeks, uh, I was supposed to do an interview with the New York Times on same-sex marriage. I declined because in this specific interview, I didn't think there was any way for me to win. As a result of that, this morning, another invitation to do another interview with a major newspaper on the issue. I still haven't decided. I'll run that by my accountability partner, my (laughs) father-in-law. I want to say to you, though, what I would like to say to the world about this. I wish I could sit down with the New York Times or the Washington Post or and say, do you realize we Christians love all people? Do you know this is difficult for us? Do you know that we love everyone because we believe God loves everyone? But because we love everyone, it means that we want to receive all people to come into our place just as they are, no matter who they are. But it doesn't mean we want them to stay as they are. We believe the precepts and the law of God is meant to free, not bind So as a pastor, I'm always going to tell you when you ask me that marriage is between a man and a woman, not because I'm bigoted, not because I hate anybody, but because I love the law of God. And marriage is not a man-made institution. It comes from God. For this reason, a man will leave and cleave. And so no matter what the world does or the political climate is, I'm always going to stand for the word of God, not because I hate anybody or because I want to be proven right, I'm going to stand for the word of God because living under the precepts of God means that joy and peace and the abundant life is yours, that God has a better way. But would you do me a favor and be very careful? Because some of you are sleeping with your boyfriend, you're not married to him. Some of you are looking at pornography, which is inappropriate. Some of you are cheating on your wife or your husband, and somehow you think you're not as bad. We're all sinners, all of us, saved by the grace And I will preach on all those topics. I'm not going to single one out. People get mad at me sometimes. Why don't you spend more? I talk about everything that's offensive to God. And you just make sure that you receive and accept anybody who comes in here because conversion is not your job. You receive and accept everyone who comes in. You let the spirit of God through the conviction of the word change people over time. People also say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't get it. Why do you have to get your religion into the uh, government? Well, first of all, I am not politically active. You know that. Now, yes, I vote, but I choose to spend my time. And some people are called to be political active. My calling is to preach the good news of the gospel. And I spend my time doing that. But people will say to me, why is it so important for you that the the government of the United States operate on Christian principles? Why don't you just leave your religious ideas and faith out of the government? Let me tell you something. The separation of church and state was never meant for the church not to have a voice into the government. It was for the government to have no voice in the church. The reason, the the reason, look, folks, I bleed red, white, and blue. I love my country. 
And because I love my country, does it not make sense to you and should it not make sense to the media that the reason I want us to have prayer in schools, the reason I want us to have the Ten Commandments, the reason that I want us to follow Christ is because I love this country. And the Bible tells me that when we go away from God, he removes his favor. But when we live in his precepts, he gives his favor. So if I love America, is it not, is it not logical that I would want us to follow the ways of Christ? Even though I know in my heart that may not happen in the political scene, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to change my mind. It doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind. The Bible clearly says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. In Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So the reason I stand for biblical principles is not because I'm bigoted, it's because I love all people. And I know there are people that struggle with their sexuality. And I want to tell you, I love you. And this church loves you. But we want to tell you that sex and race are similar and they're both sacred. You have no say in where you're created, the color of your skin or where you were born. It's sacred. It's given to you by God. So is your sexuality. You're male or female and that's given to you by God. And whatever God made you, that's what he intended you to be. And you may have other desires in your life. So do I. When I was 19, I wanted to sleep with every woman on the planet. (laughs) Why didn't I? That's a real desire. Why didn't I? Because the word of God said it's not appropriate. The sex is designed in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you that I tell you there's a better way. Now, it is obvious that when we preach this, I'm going to be ridiculed. I've already gotten a few emails between services. I expect it. How are we to respond? First Peter 3, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. How? Isn't that beautiful? Gentleness and respect. I don't think it's somebody holding a sign on the corner saying, all gays go to hell. I don't think that's gentleness and respect. Do you? Beside, where's the sign that says all people looking at pornography go to hell? Where's that sign? Where's the sign that says, hey, all of you cheating on your wife, you're going, all of you sleeping with your boyfriend, you're not married. Where's that sign? You with me? How do we respond? Gentleness and respect. Can we say it on the count of three? One, two, three. Gentleness and respect. One, two, three. Gentleness and respect. One, two, three. Gentleness and respect. The reality is, if everyone hates you, you're probably just obnoxious. But if no one hates you, there's probably no difference in your life than anybody else. The overarching truth, are you in the inner court? Do you know you've been saved by grace through faith? And do you have a passion for those far from God? And you're not worried about being PC, politically correct. You're worried about being JC, Jesus Christ, and his teaching and his precepts. If that's you, you're here. And that's the real question. Because the time is coming, the Bible says in Revelation 11... In verse 7, when they had finished their testimony, wait a minute, does the church ever finish its testimony? The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Whoa! I thought the gates of Hades would never prevail against the church. Why? What? I don't get it. Look at the next verse. It's the key one. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively, some translations say spiritually, called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. We're not looking for a specific. It's not a real death. It's a spiritual type of dying. Now, stay with me. The Bible says, here's what happens. Right near the end, that suddenly 
it appears the church is gone. But it's only because, as we're going to read in a few moments, they've been raptured. They've been called up to meet him in the air. When they're called up to meet him in the air, the Bible says the kings and the, they'll all celebrate for three and a half days. In Revelation, that's a very short amount of time. Could be hours. They're going to celebrate. Wow, look, they're gone. Woo! But then what happens in the next verse? They come with God in the clouds and the glory of the church is revealed. And then their celebration in heaven. The earthquake happens immediately after the children of God are revealed. Christ returns. And then what happens? The next, seventh, the next trumpet, suddenly, they're in heaven saying, praise be to God. His kingdom has come. You get it? The real question for all of us. People say to me, and this is what struggles. This is, what, this is why I struggle. When people write messages on the book of Revelation, they do so from an American perspective. Everything is centered around America. So people today will say, Pastor Jeff, I think you're so wrong. Jesus is going to come back in this generation because the church is dying. No, it's not. It's only dying here. There are 100 million Christians and growing in China. There's 80 million Christians and growing in Russia. Yes, the center of Christianity has shifted for the first time in human history. 50% plus of the Christians now live in the Southern Hemisphere. While it might be receding in Europe and America, it is thriving in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And the reason the center has shifted, the center of Christianity tends to shift away from affluence into people that know that the only hope in the world is Jesus Christ, which tells me, isn't it possible that all these things are happening right now because God is sifting his church? He's going to find out, do you have both feet in the kingdom or you got one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God? I'm going to force you to choose and I'm going to force you to choose by tribulation. You'll either run when bad things happen or you'll say, hey, I'm in this for the long haul. I believe 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. I believe it's happening now. He's separating the wheat from the chaff in America. He's separating the passionate from the pretenders, the followers from the fans, the penitent from the imposters. Which side are you on? And someday the Lord's going to return. He's going to take his people up in the air. Those who are left for a short period of time, the church is gone. It appears to be dead, but then it rises and it comes in the clouds of glory. And you and I, you and I will be given the deepest desires of our heart. Can I just put my hand on you? Because I know some of you are suffering a lot worse than this. Can I just put my hand on your shoulder and say, it'll be all right. You're going to be okay. You will win in the end. Stay the course. It doesn't matter how you start. It's how you finish. Stay the course. And one day, we'll be called. And this will all come to an end. If you're not in the inner court, today's the day of salvation. God extends his mercy and grace every time you hear a message. Sooner or later, you've got to adhere to the prompting of the Spirit of God and say, I am all in everything. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the power of Revelation 11. Even though we didn't get to cover every verse by verse, I pray that you would inspire us to go home, to read the rest of it in this context, and to know that the time is coming when the day of witness is ended and the time of judgment has come. May we who stand in the presence of the Lord speak the good news of the gospel with gentleness and respect, with a tear in our eye, and a pleading heart 
so that those who are far from God may come near. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.